Thursdays, you know what that means. It's time to call the wife and tell her you won't be coming home tonight. You're sleeping at the office because these guys, these guys here, we're all Mad Men, and we were really excited on Sunday when we watched Mad Men, the season premiere after 17 months of not being on the air. And so, inspired by that show's 1967 setting, we decided this week we talk about our favorite albums from 1967. I'm your host, Sean Lemmy. Joining me. Sorry about that. John Otney here. Colin Westman. Matt Carson. Hey, guys. You ready to do this thing? Oh, yeah. I'm ready. All right. No bullshit. Let's get right into it. First on the list, Aretha Franklin's I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You. this up for consideration one for the reason that it's a really just really good soul album but I also kind of wanted to throw in you know some R&B and soul since everything else is kind of just white guy rock music and this album was kind of kind of the album that launched Aretha Franklin into the stratosphere of you know one of the very best R&B singers maybe ever I mean, the album starts with respect, and it doesn't really let up from there. I don't think anyone else has listened to it. Yeah, sorry. I have not. We're all white guys that rock. Yeah, we just like to rock. We don't like to... Well, I don't know. I I feel like usually with soul artists, there usually tends to be a lot of good singles, but not always good albums, because not all soul artists write, you know, their own stuff. I don't think Aretha Franklin wrote... I mean anything here, but it all—it still all just came together, yeah, uh, in a pretty cool way, I imagine. I mean, I know I definitely know some of the big songs off of it, but I haven't heard it. Uh, so I mean, I can't really help you on this one. I don't know how much like do you really like this album? Well, I mean, this is an album that I kind of always was just like, yeah, it's pretty good, and I, I always had it on my iTunes, and I never. Really gave it a really thorough listen until a couple days ago, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is this is prime soul." I mean, I, I I can only think of a couple maybe soul albums from the '60s that are as good as this. Maybe Otis Redding or James Brown's "Live at the Apollo," but this is I like Bobby Bland myself. That's a good one. Too. Don't let his name fool you, Bobby Bland. <laughs> He's anything but. He's anything but. I'm a big soul fan. Well, I guess not that big, but I I, I have a lot of respect. Respect for ah. it. <laughs> so I really want to check this album out. So sure. I'm, I'm really glad that we that you mentioned it because now I really want to go check it out. All right. But at the end of the day, is it? Are we just bumping this right off the list? I and mean, I know it's a classical album. It's, it's something I always wanted to hear. I'm sure it's on the Rolling Stone list of the 500 greatest albums ever. Yeah, it's within the top 100. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> that's an impressive list. 
But, uh, okay. From there, I guess it's just not going to make a list. But from there, we'll, we'll look at an album that's also pretty high on that list. Uh, and, I don't know, the most famous album ever made, <laughs> Sgt. Pepper, Lonely Hearts Club Band, by the Beatles. Tangerine trees and marmalade skies. Somebody calls you, you answer quite slow. Did I miss that Anyways, Sgt. Pepper's, the... Probably the, the 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 pinnacle of the Beatles' career, just like their moment of triumph, a complex symphony of just all these great ideas coming together. It's hard to think of anything to say. About <laughs> I know it an is hard to think of anything to say about such it. a just <laughs> such a reputation. Well, why do you guys think it's so heralded when compared to their other works? It's funny because, like, to me, it's not my favorite. And it's not even close to my favorite. I mean, I love it because it's the Beatles and Sgt. Pepper, but it's... It's probably not their best songs. Yeah. But I think mm-hmm. it's from a production standpoint, uh, how I mean, epic it, was it definitely, is and everything that went into it. Yeah, it's definitely the first of the albums that's really like, okay, we're these aren't like regular songs, guys, you know? I mean, yeah, they, they had done it with Revolver. But even but Revolver with, was more like a regular album. It was right? of a piece. Everything sort of yeah. sounded the same. Yeah. They'd go and... A million different directions yeah. at once. I mean, you've got Indian music with, then you with and you without you, and then uh, circus music. Circus music for the benefit of Mr. Kite. You got that. She's leaving home, which is all just like harp. Yeah. <laughs> and then you got a day in the life, which is I don't know something. I, I usually know. I usually call that my favorite Beatles song, just because I respect everything that went into it, it's and it's got it's nice, it's, you know, great melody. And I think that ending chord that it ends on the dun, uh, I'm like that's the greatest chord that's ever been recorded, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's definitely at least it's George Martin's triumph as a producer. I think it's probably yeah, his best work in collaboration with the group. He's just one of the best producers there ever was. But yeah, I guess there's not much. I don't know. There's not much to say about it. I think it's on the list. I think it's on the list. (laughs) I think probably yeah. Was this anyone's number one when we did our top Beatles albums? No, no. This is up there for me. It's surprising. It might be my favorite besides Revolver. I don't know. And uh, moving on, we are talking about another Beatles album, uh, Magical Mystery Tour. From the same year. Yes, Magical Mystery Talk. Technically, a soundtrack album. So I guess, I don't know if that makes its um, place on the list controversial, because it's kind of something they just kind of threw together. They're making this movie because they're like, hey, let's hang out and do a bunch of drugs and do a movie. And they made this movie, though, (sighs) I mean, it's not really, it's kind of hard to define it as a movie because it's really just a collection of like music videos and them just kind of hanging out. It's pretty bad, actually. (laughs) There's some nice, the music's of course good, but there's some interesting scenes. But if you're a Beatles fan, you don't need to check it out. But onto the soundtrack. Um, 
I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's just a bunch of singles kind of stringed together. But still, I think just the fact that the Beatles would put, like, months and months into each song, it doesn't matter, like, what songs you would have thrown together, it still would have just been awesome because they're the Beatles and they work really hard on their songs. And this is also kind of their, I, I feel like, them at the height of psychedelia. And that's, and like, I Am the Walrus, oh, man. That is just a total head trip. I mean, from all sorts of different um, uh, directions. Most immediately, I think, lyrically, I'm the walrus. I don't know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> I think the reason he made the lyrics so confusing is he heard about this English teacher somewhere who's, like, trying to, like, analyze Beatles lyrics and stuff. So he's like, I'm just going to make something that doesn't make any sense and then like, try to, you know, make sense of it. So he has this song with, like, yellow matter custard dripping from a dead dog's eye and stuff like that. And there's a complex analysis of that song on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember that this, uh, our eighth and ninth grade history teacher, Mr. Enzyme, like told us why he hates the Beatles and it's because of this album. Like, he's like, oh yes, back in the day when they were, you know, holding hands and eight days a week and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that was all fun and innocent, but then they, you know, he was like yelling at AJ telling him like, George Harrison went in a room and did heroin for 20 straight days, and that's how they wrote this song. <laughs> yeah, I remember him talking about that. I'm the Go, 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 It's nonsense. It's crap. Nah. It's terrible. What a square. <laughs> oh, yeah. Totally lost my respect that day. Oh, yeah, aside from the fact that he's a terrible educator. <laughs> because for me, I'm the Wall Street is a song that I like more and more. I hear it just because of, like, all the different sound clips that are going on there. And, like, how badass the electric piano is in that song. I, uh, I have nothing but shower, I could shower praise on it all day. There's a lot of other good songs on there, too. Yeah, I think my one complaint against it is, yeah, I don't, I never actually got this album because I was like, well, I've heard all the songs on here because, like, half of them are singles and they're some amazing singles. I mean... Strawberry Fields is on here, so is Penny Lane. Aren't they back to back? I think so, but <laughs> I guess I always just thought of those as singles. I didn't think of things off an album. Yeah, so I mean, I guess it's tough when you look at some of these other artists who probably put like all their blood, sweat, and tears into like really work on an album, and the Beatles just kind of threw something together, and it just happened to be spectacular. <laughs> I don't know if it should matter how much effort they may have put into the actual album itself. But they still put in so much work into the songs, so... I'm just not that excited about having two Beatles albums on the list. I don't know why that bothers me. Especially, it's just, I guess it's more because this is like a soundtrack, and it's like, as you guys pointed out, the good songs are already singles. It's, it feels yeah. like kind of a cop-out. It doesn't feel like a... I know what you mean, it doesn't feel like an album, per se. Almost like a, just a compilation. Okay, so, uh... I think this is another one that no one else has heard. Sorry. That's it's okay. You know, we can't all listen to every album ever made. Like you do. Like I've I heard do. other Birds albums. Yeah, I mean, you gotta check this one out. It's maybe my favorite just because I think it, it, it kind of shows the Birds at a crossroads where they're transitioning, you know, from the folk rock stuff into more psychedelic stuff and also sort of into the country sound that they would uh, explore once Graham Parsons joined the band. And it's yeah, it's just got a little bit of everything that makes the birds kind of great. I think, I think the birds are one of the 
kind of more underrated bands of the 60s. I think they put out quite a few good albums over a really short span of time. Were they writing more of their own material on this one? I know some of their other ones had more covers. Yeah, this has one Bob Dylan cover. I always got to have. I always got to rely on their one. buddy Bob Dylan at least, at least for one one little thing. Yeah, I think the reason why I never got to this Birds album is I kind of at least I listened to the first two and they're good, but I always kind of felt like they're. This may not be fair, but I always thought they're kind of a one trick pony. I mean, maybe I haven't heard this, so maybe this is the leap to make me because they got the nice the nice harmonies and the kind of folky sound and the sweet twelve string guitar. I don't know. I just, I, I really respect the birds, but I didn't see any reason to keep going. But I guess I should. Uh, it sounds like this one. Uh, one I mean, pony is like not it. how I would describe the birds. Just because I feel like they had such a like defined sound, kind of. Well, they did, yeah. But then they changed it in a way that was kind of more influential on rock than people realize. I mean, they were kind of the first band. To really go psychedelic with Eight Miles High, and then they're kind of the first band to venture into country rock, which was kind of a thing that you know some other artists did later on, like the Grateful Dead in the late '60s. So, hmm. I feel like they did more than people give them credit for. But and and how do you feel about this in terms of uh, on the list and everything? I mean, it'd be on my list, but. Do you, what do you think? What, what's your prediction? Like when it comes down to the, near the end, do you think it's gonna? I have no idea because no one has heard it. It's hard to make a guess with those kinds of albums. I mean, would I like it? I think you would. Okay, so we can keep it as a maybe then. Okay. But yeah, I'll have to check that out. Here's one that you made me check out, John. Disraeli uh, Gears by Cream. You thought the leaden winter would bring you down forever, but you rode upon a steamer to the violence of the sun. Nice track choice. This is my favorite song of the album. Oh, yeah. I love this. Well, song. what's really cool about this is the Tales of Brave Ulysses is that it, it's, I feel like it's one of the first big, not big songs, but one of the first more mainstream songs to have wah wah pedal on it. <laughs> They were kind of... I mean, they would obviously... Weren't, I don't think they were the first, but... They're definitely one of the early... You know, Clapton's right on that, because he's God. <laughs> but this is Cream's second album, and this is... Uh, I guess a big directional change for them in that the first their first album, Fresh Cream, was just pretty, pretty straightforward blues rock. I mean, they're all pretty accomplished musicians, uh, but it was still it was just blues rock. And this is like psychedelic blues, which is something just so different and so weird... This album's really trippy, and it's got some great riffs, some really weird ideas on it, like lyrically. I know Jack Bruce, the bassist, he he usually wrote with this guy named Pete Brown, who's kind of like this underground poet, and his lyrics, like, they're so, like, crazy. There's one song in here, Swallob, Swabber. Yeah, it's like a, it's an acronym for She Walks Like a Bearded Rainbow. Ah, what the, what the hell is he talking about? And the rainbow has a beard. I have the uh, classic yeah. albums. Classic albums is this uh, TV show. You can pick them up on DVD. Each, each episode is about like an album and how it was made. And Jack Bruce is like, they ask him like, how did you come up with that song? The title and everything. He's like, drugs. I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't even know. There's some really trippy stuff on there, but... Aside from all that and all the drugs that I'm, I assume are going around, I don't think that hinders these guys' abilities as musicians at all. I think they're they're real they're real tight, real polished. 
and it's a real, real unique uh, ex- experience. I think so. Other Give thoughts? us "Sunshine of Your Love," man. "Sunshine of Your Love," one of the great, great rock riffs. Hey. Every like young band has to like play. We played it <laughs> at a gig. Oh, yeah. Every band has to play it. Yeah. Do 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 do. I never sang. It. I never sang it very good. I sang it like really low. Getting it down. <laughs> Bad decision. <laughs> but uh, it's fun to play and fun to listen to. The Cream album I really liked was Wheels of Fire. This is all. even my, my second choice. Interesting. My favorite is Fresh Cream. What? I know. But what I still like this one a lot too. Is there this another one? one? Huh? Is it just the three? Goodbye. That's their last one. They, nice. They're pretty much broken up because they kind of all like hated each other at that point. It was mostly Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker like totally like hated each other. They were like, they had really big egos. Like they'd play, they'd go to shows and Jack Bruce had like three like Marshall stacks and he'd just like play as loud as he could and Ginger Baker would get pissed at him. I remember one time Eric Clapton's like, you know what? I'm just going to not play for a little bit. And they didn't even notice. He like stops <laughs> playing, but they're just like, boom, boom, boom. They can't hear Eric Clapton. Mm-hmm. And like, I think the egos clashed and Clapton got tired of all the bickering and everybody kind of, they were doomed all along. They don't, I don't feel like, I don't know if they ever got along that well, but it's funny, like if they didn't get a well, they didn't get along well in that way, but as a group, they were so, they, they gelled together so tightly. And I actually had the, uh, the op- I got to go see Jack Bruce a couple years ago in Woodenville at a Hippie Fest. <laughs> <laughs> and even though I'm sure it's like he didn't want to be there and he had to play just you, you, just all cream songs. And he had like some stupid like guitars, probably with like a ponytail. He's just shred. <laughs> he was just great. He's a joy to watch. And he's one of my favorite bassist vocalists of all time. He's really talented. And it shows all on this album. Great stuff. I was obsessed with Cream, definitely, in, in junior high for a period of time. I remember that. Yeah. To Never probably forget. annoying extent, but, you know, it's past. But hey, it's, that resulted in me getting a free Cream DVD, because you ended up with, like, two of the same one. I ended up with one. two, because someone got it to me as, gave it to me as a gift. And I, I felt like, like your liking of Cream... <laughs> Like, ruined it for me. I, ne- I never <laughs> got any Cream albums. I never really liked Cream that much. I always thought Ginger Baker was an ugly weirdo. He's an asshole, too. <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's pretty good. I just remember that clip of him on that DVD, and he's like... I feel like he had, like, six cigarettes in his mouth. And just <laughs> <laughs> it always seems like he has to have a cigarette while he plays. He, like, he looks just like he's clinging on to life. Yeah, it's, it's weird that he's still alive. But I always thought he was really cool. <laughs> it's weird that he's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always thought it was cool because he's a jazz drummer and he plays, like, psychedelic rock because he's classically trained. Well, all the, a lot of those guys back then, like, besides Keith Moon, you know, yeah. were, like, you know, got their roots in jazz. I was just telling Colin earlier about how Ginger Baker hated anyone who like wasn't classically trained. He's like dissing all the Rolling Stones. Just a bunch of little kids. Uh, they fucking money beats. Fucking money beats. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm well, sure. can you imagine like if you're Ginger Baker and you're classically trained and you're amazing and you're putting so much effort into your music and then you have Charlie Watts who's just sitting there. <laughs> on every single song. I can imagine how he's, you know, like be frustrated or jealous or... Definitely. But, great album. And moving along, we have another one, another album that I was obsessed with for a period of time and that's The Doors by The Doors. Well, she's passionately late And she's 
And there you have it, the Lizard King himself leading some of LA's finest musicians of the day, The Doors. Uh, what I find interesting about The Doors' opening album, their debut, is that it's kind of like basically just their a live album in a way. It not a lot of overdubs. It pretty much reflects their the set that they'd play back in nineteen you know nineteen sixties at the Whiskey a Go Go and everything. And I actually also saw the Doors classic albums uh, episode recently, and what it really made me appreciate that these guys they take in so many different styles. They like as Ray Manzarek, the organist, will play. It, he's like, we steal everything, <laughs> but it's I find it really interesting how they incorporate all these styles. Um, Take a track like uh, Break On Through to the Other Side. If you listen to Ray Manzarek, he's got the little Fender Rhodes kind of organ. He's doing like a Ray Charles thing on that. You know what I'm saying, Colin? The do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Yeah. And then what's cool is then over on drums, John Densmore is playing like a bossa nova beat. And that's so weird that you could a bossa nova beat could go with like a Ray Charles thing and just kind of gel like that. And I find that that's so cool. They can take all these different styles and then it becomes something new. And then, of course, you got Robbie Krager on guitar. And I thought it was real cool. On a track like Soul Kitchen, he's doing, like, as he puts it, a, uh, a James Brown horn section part. He's going, like, boom, 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 And I think that's so cool. They emulate all these different, these different uh, musicians that they appreciate and put it together in this really unique-sounding album. Yeah, I'm not that big a Doors fan. Uh... But when I look at this first album, it's like, yeah, they, they weren't fucking around when they made this one, because every song is like a classic rock staple, basically. And I feel like in the later Doors music, I just feel like they got too carried away with trying to be like mysterious and dark and edgy. and Maybe. Every, maybe. I think every song's really straight to the point on this one. There's not too much, uh, I don't know, psychedelic noodling. There's Except some, for maybe the end, the end which is over ten minutes track. long. So that one's kind of cool just because, I don't know, maybe just because Apocalypse Now. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I usually hate those kind of douchebag guys who write, like, really, like, bizarre poetic lyrics. But for some reason, like, I really like Jim Morrison's, and I, I'm not sure why. I love how in the end there's that one part where he's like, Father, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> it's like he tells these bizarre stories about, like, murders, all sorts of weird crap going on. He was just a rock icon that's just yeah. unique and weird in all sorts of ways. I don't know. I feel like I fall in the... I feel like some people uh, think that Jim Morrison, like, I don't know, is kind of just a drunk idiot. Like, that's kind know. of the vibe I get. I, I mean, I, I always feel like... I feel like that's true to an extent. Yeah. I don't think he was as much of a god as he thought he was. Yeah, I always, I always get the vibe, like... That there's three musicians that are working really hard, and he's like doesn't even know that he's in a band. Like, well, I think the thing is we don't we we don't we're never really gonna know that. Yeah, exactly. Because no. some people have built up the legend, you know, yeah. that he's he was like he didn't give a shit, and then other people are like, no, dude, this guy was a genius. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I'm not that big a Doors fan. Different either. people will tell you different things, but I I think you know it's fair. Somewhere to, in the middle, because he was a musician. I remember hearing about. He, the way they did their songs usually is he'd come in with like a poem and he'd start singing like uh, E flat uh, and they just kind of figured out and that's that's kind of unprofessional way but in another way I think that's cool that a band can work that way and that it kind of relies on each member to work together to create a song from some weird poem 
Yeah. And I think that's why it resulted sometimes in really weird songs, and sometimes it just really gelled. But I think it does. I think it all gels on the, the first the, album. The other guys don't really get enough credit. Is you know, no. Robbie Krieger. I never hear anyone talk about him. He's a fantastic guitarist. I th- I always felt like he was the real musical force in the Doors. He wrote "Light My Fire" by himself, and that's kind of that's the that was the big hit. According to Mr. Enzyme, uh, that's a terrible song. <laughs> "Light My Fire." <laughs> "Light My Fire." What does that even mean? <laughs> number number one song got him kicked off Ed Sullivan show when they said. Girl, we couldn't get much higher. Couldn't say higher. Uh, never, never, could never come back. And ruin their careers. But I think I feel like the Doors is is such an iconic album that you got to have it somewhere on the list. I agree. I wonder how you guys feel about the other Doors album that came Strange out. Strange Days, the second Doors release. Now, it seems pretty weird now, I guess, that a, a band back in the 60s could release two albums in one year. I think the reason that this happened was probably, one, Light My Fire was such a big hit that, like, we need more Door stuff. They're successful. They're, you know, we need more. And then also, they had written the first two albums before they started doing the first one because they just wrote songs all the time. And they practiced a lot. A lot of people think that, oh, they were just stoned walking in some desert with some Indian. <laughs> but no, these guys, these, guys worked, these guys worked really hard. I mean, at least the guys who played instruments worked hard. But this album is very strange. It's called Strange Days. So, Strange album artwork. Colin, have you heard this? I, I mean, I've heard, like, I feel like I had it a long time ago. But I somehow lost it. And I heard, a f- I was listening to parts of it, like, the other day. And yeah, I don't like this as much because I feel like it does have too much of the dark, moody noodling that I was talking oh, about sure. earlier. And that, it, it I don't really dark. care about that crap, honestly, when it comes to the yeah, Doors. Yeah, I mean, I'm just a big Doors fan, so I like anything that's the Doors. And there's some really great singles on here. Yeah. Um, they love me two times. People Are Strange is another okay. good one. But yeah, I think this one just isn't as cohesive. They started to experiment, and sometimes it works. Sometimes it didn't. Um, for me, this one works, but I, I can see why other people like turned off by this album. Um, it's kind of a letdown after listening to The Doors. I guess, yeah, it is a little bit of a letdown. It's the uh, sophomore slump, I guess. Yeah. it's it's. Uh, I probably like a couple other Doors albums before this one, actually. Hmm. But I just think it's amazing that they could come out with another album that's at least kind of good in the same year. That's cool, but just judging from the general reaction and uh, the reaction to the last Doors album, I think it probably won't make the list, but I'm glad we got to talk about it a little bit. Let's talk about something else, like Surrealistic Pillow by Jefferson Airplane. criticism or not criticism the things you said about the birds uh, could apply to Jefferson Airplane with this album too it's kind of maybe folk psychedelic sound 
I didn't. Know, I didn't even realize until we just started doing this podcast how psychedelic 1967 was. Yeah, it was like the year when yeah. psychedelia broke through to the mainstream, basically. Yeah, and yeah, you look at tracks like uh, like White Rabbit, and you just yeah, those people did drugs enough that they had to write music <laughs> about drugs. I mean, not all of it's druggy music. Some of it's just kind of straight up garage rock, but pretty good garage pretty rock. Good. And some of it is, yeah, just like straight up folky stuff. I love the instrumental track, Embryonic Journey. That's a super yeah. beautiful song. What a weird a name. Look, that Embryonic Journey. Yeah. That's what's... I remember, like, the guitarist was, like, he was the one who wrote it. He was like, come on, we should put this on the album. And everyone was like, no, <laughs> this doesn't sound anything like our other songs. But they did it. That's cool. I'm happy they do. I think my only problem with this album is I don't feel like there's enough songs that have Grace Slick singing lead. I feel like she was kind of their secret weapon. She was the most interesting thing about them, but I feel like too often she's just doing backup vocals and stuff. Yeah. Like Mar- who, Marty Balin. We usually sang lead. I don't know. Anyone here, Jefferson Airplane expert? I'm like, I'm more of a Starship guy. Starship. Not even Jefferson Starship. No. <laughs> I just feel like she's got this commanding, powerful voice. She should be singing lead all the time. She's so interesting. I and I just like, I just find myself waiting for the next time when she sings lead. So that that's disappointing to me. But overall, I'd say yeah, it's I I enjoy it all right. It's it's it definitely rocks. There's some death, some great guitar work here. But I was a little disappointed, actually, when I first heard this album. And I've never quite gotten into it as much as... I don't know, you guys sound like you, you really dig it. Uh, well, the big Jefferson Airplane album for me was Volunteers. Uh, but I really like this one, too. I don't know, I put it on my <laughs> list. I, I don't have really strong feelings for it, but I, uh, it's good. Here's a funny little note. Uh, when I was re- looking it up earlier, I noticed Jerry Garcia was listed additional personnel as spiritual advisor. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, man, if you do this one part, it's going to be awesome. I mean, what the hell does that do? Like, I'd understand if it was like, oh, the Guru Rashibi or something. Some guru guy coming in that their spiritual advisor. But no, it's Jerry Garcia. Just some other stoned out guy in some other band. I don't know, but that's pretty funny. I wonder if it was like he played on it, but they couldn't like, they're so stoned, they can't even remember what he played he on. Did, so like, let's I, say he was our advisor. I think he did play on it too, but he's also listed as spiritual advisor. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Uh, so, bump it? Keep it? I'd bump it, but I don't... I'd bump it too. Okay. Right. Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. Jimmy Hendrix Experience. Are you experienced? <laughs> This is another one. I don't know what to say about it. It's just so good, so influential. I mean, so many of the songs are staples of like classic rock radio, and for a good reason. Uh, yeah, you don't find many debuts where an artist has a sound that's so just completely developed and just so unlike anything else that's come before it. I mean, I can't imagine hearing this in 1967. I, just, I would just have my mind blown. Basically. I was also just really intrigued by like his chord choices and like how the song would be arranged. It's like, where did he come up with that? Because there's nothing like before him. Oh, I mean, it's... 
I mean, was that just because of him, like, you know, how he used to cut his forehead and then he'd put acid on his bandana and then soak in? Is that where it's coming the from? The sounds that he heard in his head. <laughs> I know everything. <laughs> I can do all. And then I, I remember, I respect this album so much more when I got, I, like, a book of tabs. When the, like I bought this album and the same day I went, I was at half price and they had the, this book that had all the tabs for each song guitar tabs guitar tabs yeah I don't know. and I remember going through and I was like tab, yeah tab soda yeah. I got some tab soda <laughs> and listened to Hendrix great day all the chords were listed on the cans <laughs> but but anyways I was always like yeah this is so cool this is so original and then I was to the part where I was like I can't do this this is incredible this is insane this is so weird because <laughs> he's just he really is one of the best. Um, would you guys consider him in, in, your favorite guitarist? Anyone here? Any, is anyone's is anyone's favorite? I think he's really cool, just because I don't know. Uh, at least favorite. as the legend goes, he just taught himself how to do all this. That does, like, as someone who tried to teach himself guitar and failed so miserably. I just as, about as miserably as you could fail at learning guitar. I have so much respect for Jimi Hendrix. I guess you know. He was born this day and age. He probably would have just, you know, started a YouTube account or something and become famous that <laughs> that's way. That's interesting to think about. <laughs> but yeah, I have a, a deep respect for him. I don't know if I call him my favorite guitarist, just because that's that's a weird thing to have a, a favorite of. I think. Yeah, I know it's something I've never even thought of. Yeah, my sure. favorite guitarist. I have one. He's up there. Is Eric Clapton? Is that your Jimmy list? Page? Jimmy Page. Eric Clapton's two. <laughs> how how many rankings do you have? Do you have a top ten? Um, I'm, I might have a top. Five, but I don't think we need to go into that right now. <laughs> Alex Lifeson, number one. Alex Lifeson from Rush. <laughs> He's pretty good. Sure. Buckethead. But uh, but back to Jimmy. Number two. Yeah, I just find it so strange that he learned to play guitar and and then he picked up this style that doesn't sound like anything else. And this I album guess, yeah, is so bizarre. But I wouldn't. It's I say it's really accessible though in a really, despite the fact that you have these. That's one of the things about Jimi Hendrix. I feel like. Listen to him chop wise. I, I'd say you know, Eddie Van Halen is the best. You know what I mean. Yeah. But when you think of Jimi Hendrix, it's it's not chops. It's style it's and arrangement. It's yeah, like, exactly. It's, it's like yeah, exactly. It's I, expressive is the perfect word for it. I mean, it's so. It's like he's speaking through it. You know, it's not. He's not you know doing. You know, but he's. He's like an emotional experience. It definitely was an experience. John, this guy. Where's this guy been? He knows what he's talking about. Uh, there's another experience album that also came out in 67, and it is called Axis. Bold as love. I've always really loved this album, like, almost as much as Are You Experienced. And I think the reason is because... Because I was a stupid little kid, well, teenager, I didn't buy Are You Experienced as my first Jimi Hendrix album. I bought this, like, Greatest Hits, where most of the songs on it were off of Are You Experienced. So by the time I heard Are You Experienced, it was like, oh yeah, I've heard most of these songs. But Axis Bold is Love... It doesn't really have any of Jimmy's, like, big hits or more well-known songs. I mean, Little Wing is really, like, the only one, and that one's not, like... Smash Castle Magic. Got some. 
Got some publicity because of the Guitar Hero. Yes, that. But yeah, I mean, I got the first one. I got already experienced first, and I was like, this is all I need. I had no idea that there's all this other great stuff, too. We were, uh... We were just playing through this, actually. We were playing, uh, recently, Rock Band. This is in there. This album. The whole album. And it just really, rem- uh, I respect the co- complexity of it so much more when you're... Even though it's a stupid video game, it's not like you're really playing it, but it's like, wow, there's some really complicated stuff going on here. It never slows down. There's never, like, a moment where it just... It, it stops being intricate in some way, or... I don't know if intricate's the right word, but just all over the place in this really cool kind of way. And yes, it's, it's like concise, too. I mean, these are pop songs. They're only like three minutes long each. Yeah, that's so weird. There's no, like... He wasn't really yeah. indulgent at this point in his career. It's like, these these aren't like 12-minute songs yeah. or something, you know? It's it's really it's really interesting that they're like, you know, like three minutes and stuff. I, th- I really respect that. It shows like he's like got... I don't know, uh, some restraint or something, or like you know, he's like he knows like when you've when you've experienced it, enough. It's, yeah, it's not ego driven. It's not like I have to make. All these Listen to me play this guitar solo for twelve hours. Yeah, well, I'm on acid. I think it's mortality driven because as someone who got to play those songs on guitar and sing them in rock band, I'm pretty tired by the end of three minutes of that. Yeah, isn't that crazy? It's like oh my god, it's only like three minutes, two fifty. You're like oh, I'm so tired. There's so much going on here. He really packs a punch in such a short amount of time. It's, it's just amazing that he can really get his message across in just like in like two minutes or something. But I'm, I I think I never really liked this one as much just because it didn't have the hits for me and I never it never really caught on for me as much. I didn't respect it a lot. But I was you know, I just got into this one like a year ago. It took me that long, so I think I still need more time with it. I'm pretty much on the same page as you. It's not as exciting to me, uh, just because I spent my entire Jimi Hendrix uh, experience listening career listening to Are You Experienced, and I've, I'm so set in my ways, <laughs> can't can't adapt. Yeah. I mean, sure, I, I love you know Little Wing, Smash Castle Magic, and other songs that names <laughs> I don't even know, but I've heard a few times. Uh, it's just. I don't know, it's, I guess it's more of a respect I have than actual fondness. Yeah, so I don't know where that puts it in terms of a list. You put it on the list, definitely, Colin? I put it on my top ten, but... Even though we already have a Jimi Hendrix on the Yeah, list? honestly, I think this one is pretty... I mean, I don't know if I'd say it's pretty close to the quality of our experience, but it's really good. Okay. And it's at that level, I think. But I don't want to bump it yet. Okay. Well, then let's move on to something else. And by something else, I mean something else. The album by The Kinks. Do you think the Kinks are like the most English band there ever was? Probably. <laughs> I mean, these guys are always singing about drinking tea and hanging out on a, in the afternoon and stuff. On the village green. But it really, in a way, it really like makes me more interested in like English culture. <laughs> I don't know. Because they kind of explore like the goofiness, I think, of, 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 of English life and everything in a real quirky way. And even though they are real quirky, they're, they, uh, Ray Davies still fantastic songwriter 
This isn't one of my favorite Kinks albums, but it's definitely got some great songs on it. Waterloo Sunset. Yeah. That's a classic. Uh, it's kind of a shame that song was never as big over here as it is in the UK. I feel like in the UK, it's like an anthem. Yeah, that's like one of the most... For me, one of those beautiful like rock and roll songs ever written. One of the great like rock ballads. It's just it just never caught on over here. I don't know how. You call three minutes song English, a ballad, maybe. Well, yeah, I mean, because a ballad, I feel like is more of like just the the feeling of it, not necessarily the length. I always thought it was the, the tempo, not well, it's not a, the length. It's a slower song. So, uh, I yeah. mean, I would probably rank this among my favorite Kinks. Albums. I mean, it is like the album that sort of heralded in their very English phase of their career. Kind of the golden age of their career where they put a string of albums that are just kind of amazing. I mean, they did this one, they did Village Green, they did uh, Arthur and then Lola. I mean, those are all amazing albums. I feel like if we were all English, we'd all like really respect them more. I, I just feel like they never caught on because of, like as big... As they are over there, over here, because of the fact that they're so English. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I just That's just how I feel. Uh, I like this also as Dave Davies' like, moment in the sun. A couple times, actually. He sings a couple songs. Yeah. Death of a Clown was a song that I always really liked. Because I, I just like that name, Death of a Clown. They sing about the weirdest kind of little goofy th- things like that. And then... Uh, David Watts, that's a cool song. And then the Jam cover that or something later oh, on. Yeah. That was awesome. There's yeah. an episode of Modern Family about the death of a clown. Did they use a song? No. Then it's not relevant. They do like wacky jokes at the funeral. Good to know. So they're just ripping off that Mary Tyler Moore episode. Anyways, uh, this isn't a TV podcast. Tired of your Murray Tyler Moore bullshit. <laughs> well, that's like one of the most famous sitcom episodes. Whatever. Who cares? Anyways, <laughs> is this making the list? I don't really like the kinks. I really... I, I'm conflicted just because I like the kinks enough that I want... I don't know the next time we're going to do a 1960s albums list. I'd like to give a, a tip of the hat to the kinks. But I don't know if that if this is the right album to, for representing the kinks. Mm-hmm. Well, then let's keep it as a maybe and, uh, and move, a, move along, I suppose. Fair enough. So, up next is Forever Changes by Love. What is happening and how have you been? Gotta go, but I'll see you again. And oh. Sounds kind of weird. Uh, this, I'm going to say, this is probably my favorite album, 1967. It's, uh... Why do you put yourself in these situations, Colin? Because you love it, don't you? <laughs> you love the suspense of, oh, what's Colin's number one going to be? <laughs> oh, of course, it's going to be the one I have no idea what it yeah. is. Well, Jesus, man, you should listen to this. I think, I don't know, I think this is one of the best albums of the 60s. Even though there are other albums from this year that are probably going to be higher than it and they should be but just song for song I just feel like it's so solid it's got this sound that's kind of like it sounds like other stuff it sounds like folk music it sounds like psychedelic rock but it's got this dark tinge to it it's got this sort of like I don't know mariachi thing thrown in there too and it's just kind of like the ultimate 
outsider album. Like the lead singer deals with some just <laughs> really uh, I don't know, just deep stuff. I think he said like he thought he was gonna die when he was making this album. But I don't know why. <laughs> The album's was, gonna kill him? I guess. I don't know. He's kind of a... Like a Frankenstein's monster? Kind of an out there guy, Arthur Lee, but... Man, he wrote some great songs for this album. Well, you're in luck, Colin, because I also love, love so much. Because I didn't know. I didn't know if you'd even heard this before. It's fantastic. You know, it's funny. The first time I listened to it, I was like, this is good. But for some reason, it just grows. It really growed on me. I think this is an album that deserves to be listened over and over again. And I really think it's cool that it kind of in the... In the peak of psychedelia, they they remain acoustic. There's acoustic guitar yeah, in like every song because it like kind of rocks. It's like yeah, it feels like an electric album, but it's like nothing but acoustic mm-hmm. guitars. And it's not like folk or anything. It's like just rock with acoustic guitars. Like <laughs> these guys had some balls. Arthur Lee is really interesting, and not that this should matter, but I find it also interesting that he's black. Yeah. You don't see a lot of black guys. <laughs> like his, he doesn't sound black either. Just you don't see these black guys in these rock rock bands like that. And I find that really interesting. Not that it has anything to do with the music. I just find that as, like as an interesting side note. I don't know if that has anything to do with, with the music being different or it's kind of standing out. I just find that interesting. You know, he was real influential in getting the Doors signed. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's like, you gotta check these guys out. And this guy from Electra Records went. He's like. I don't like it. He's like, no, you just keep checking them out. <laughs> so props to him over there, too. No, sir, I don't like it. <laughs> but yeah, it definitely has that kind of bittersweetness to it. and It's just real beautiful. And I like the kind of almost Latin little little, little solo bits in there. Yeah. Add that kind of little flair to it. But yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a must-listen for anyone interested in 60s music. And I think it should definitely be on this list. Put it on my RDO playlist. Okay, that's good. It's great. It's great to hear. Listen that. to it on the drive home. And next up is a uh, debut from a band called Moby Grape. was a well, just like Jefferson Airplane a band that came out of that uh, that San Francisco scene of the late 60s that also birthed the Grateful Dead uh, Janis Joplin among others and this band is not nearly as uh, recognized as those are Moby Grape mainly because they kind of just released this debut and sort of had nothing but financial internal personal problems it just it just wasn't very good for for Moby Grape after this album. It just kind of went downhill. Then Moby stole their name. <laughs> yes. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> but this is another one where just song for song. Every song is like really concise, like two minutes, bunch of ideas packed in there. I think it, and there's a really kind of eclectic sound, which I think comes from the fact that all five of the members wrote different songs. So you have like this country, folk, garage rock, blues thing that kind of swirls into this thing that creates the sound of this album. They always, they always kind of remind me of the Grateful Dead if the Grateful Dead like had more energy. Yeah. <laughs> like if they weren't so like stowed like just sitting back eating munchies or something they'd be like Moby Grape. Because they kind of remind me because they have the sing-along thing going mm-hmm. and the kind of bluesy thing. They're more they're, they're a little edgier though. They're a little more rock oriented I think. A little faster. I would be honored to call myself a grape head. A grape head. 
Yeah, that's weird. You're a big that fan of Moby Grave. I'm all right with Moby Grave. Okay, it's weird that they just had this one album, and like I don't know anything about them. They always find it. This doesn't really have much to do with it, but actually. They're referenced once on Family Guy. <gasps> I remember when Peter Griffin's like, these kids these days with their rock'em, sock'em robots and their spirographs and their Moby Grape. <laughs> so that's Peter Griffin. That's what he thinks of the modern day <laughs> for the five people that watch Family Guy and listen to Moby Grape. Got that reference. Yeah. But that's cool. There's that select few that find this album, I guess, and like, oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I th- I don't know if I'd say it's a landmark album. Maybe not, but it's definitely solid. It's, it's weird, though, but it's weird. Everybody like who's like into like I guess uh, I don't even know how to put it. Just people who are like searching for all sorts of cool rock music stumble upon this album at some point in time, like you and me. You know, it's like <laughs> there's got to be a reason. It's like people like come across it. Like it stands out from so many other bands that were probably like them at the time. I think it's just the songs are just good and yeah. they're just a good band. I don't know. <laughs> So I mean I think it's 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 got potential to be on the list, but I don't I want, I'm going to say it's a sure thing. Why not? Just because. Just because I, it doesn't like there's nothing on here that really stands out to me that blows me away. I just think it's a really solid album. I don't, but I never thought it was an amazing album. Like if you were trying to sell Moby Grape to someone with one song, could you do it? Maybe. That, that one Moby Grape song. <laughs> I don't know, maybe Omaha. Grandma. Not relevant, really, because it's an album list, but, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It's hard for me. It's because it's, like, it's such a special little thing. Like, I, I know about this because of our blog, and that's... <laughs> I think it was the first classic album Tuesday I wrote for the blog. Yeah, I was like, okay. That was when I cared about classic album Tuesdays yeah. on the blog. I should probably check this out. Because I, I did one for Forever Changes, too, but you didn't care about that. No, point. by that point, I was done reading on our own blog. That's so sad. Uh, let's keep going. So, okay. So, so it's a maybe. I think so. Some great blues rock, and now let's listen to some moody blues with Days of Future Past. Are we going to get to... Uh, I don't know. It's, it's like the all the songs have like... I'll explain that in a, in a minute. Yeah, see, let's see. Let's just listen to this for a minute. How do we get, we get to real I like this song. It's kind of like dwarves or something. Oh, 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 oompa, oompa. Okay, so this is a really interesting album for the Moody Boos. A lot of people kind of consider it their debut, but actually they this is their second album. They uh, they were a totally different group before this album. They were an R&B group. And they, had a, they had a minor hit with a song called Go Now. And then Denny Lane, their lead singer, left for some reason. And their bass player left. Denny Lane went on to be in Wings later. So nobody really cared about him for the rest of his life. <laughs> and then and then Justin Hayward and John Lodge. Uh, Justin Hayward's a guitarist vocalist, and John Lodge is a bassist, and he also sings. They join the band, and then they become this, like, psychedelic beat poet band. And they're like, man, we got to do something really special for our debut. So, so I don't know how they pulled it off, but they get to do an album with the London Symphony Orchestra. And so this, this album is, contains about seven or eight tracks, and between each song are these huge orchestral parts. Like, there's a huge overture and everything. And it all ties together in this concept album about all the different times of the day and, like, the emotions that you feel at those times of the day. In that way, it's kind of cheesy, but 
I'm just I'm amazed that this is a debut record in a way for them, and that it's so like like all out, like let's just do it big or nothing. I mean, no one noticed it back in 1967. It wasn't really popular. I don't feel like until the 70s, but I feel like a lot of people respect it now. Sean, you're a Moody Blues fan. I'm a huge Moody Blues fan. I saw them live in Portland a, few, true. a few years ago. And they still have most. They still have Justin Hayward and John Lodge, bassist and singer. They're the most important. Yeah, the drummer's there. He's, he's very tired. He takes breaks. They have, another, <laughs> they have another drummer who drums with him, so he doesn't have to play the full part. Is he doing the poetry? He does do the poetry. That was my favorite part was the poetry, because he, he just got up and, and read the poetry, and then he went and sat at the back of the stage for a while and let the other drummer drum. And then he came back for a few, yeah. a few songs later. Graham Edge is their drummer. And he tended to write poetry for every album. He didn't usually get to recite it on the albums. I feel like they usually had their organist or mellotronist. I don't know what you call someone who plays a mellotron because he usually played mellotron. He usually recited the poems just because he had a great speaking voice. Uh, Colin, have you heard this album? Uh, yeah, for the first time, like yesterday. Uh, I mean, I don't know, just the one time. It's pretty weird. I mean, well, I listened to, yeah. One time yesterday, I was like, "I this is I don't really like." I this think it might be much. challenging the first time. And then I listened mm-hmm. to it again. I was like, "No, this isn't as bad as I thought it was." There's some good stuff. Well, on it, it. It's weird. I guess it takes yeah. getting used to the orchestral stuff because the first time I was like, "Well, it seems like they're just kind of wasting time. It just seems like filler." But it's pretty good. <laughs> I blame myself for that, Colin, because I I put out a Garage Band Loops album. And some of the songs are just boring orchestral loops, and they're actually called boring orchestral loops. So I, I just trained you to hate that part of music. Perhaps. I'm not sure. But I love how the orchestral parts tie together each song. Mm-hmm. And, and how the over yeah, the overture that's trying it has every single song up there you know, at the is, beginning. This is not an album that you could just listen to your favorite song off of. This is a, I'm going to listen to a whole album. You have album. to listen to the whole thing. You can't, you can't just listen to even one song. It doesn't work. Even Tuesday afternoon, you're like, nope. Yeah, I don't know how that's like a single or how that was popular for them at some point, Tuesday afternoon. And of course, Nights in White Satin. I don't know how it happened, but the Moody Blues weren't really popular in America until the early 70s. And then they got really popular and they're touring all over the place. So I feel like uh, Nights in White Satin wasn't like a hit until 1972 (laughs) somehow. But I think that's at least a a staple of uh, of kind of the psychedelic beat. I don't even know. They're kind of... They're poetry rock. They have, they have I wouldn't much, even go poetry rock. Because they've never been like rocking out with electric guitar. They're more like psychedelic and con- conceptual ideas and weird poems about... Ride my seesaw rocks, John. Songs about Timothy Leary and stuff. Timothy Leary rocks. But I think there's some really beautiful moments on here. There's some great flute. Some great Mellotron. Mike Pinder was kind of, I feel like, one of the first guys to just... He played Mellotron like all the time. That's a really interesting instrument. It's kind of like... A keyboard, I guess, and there's like little tapes for each kind of key, and it has like an eight second like loop on it, and you press it, something like that. But I hear, I don't know if this is true. Uh, Mike Pinder's Wikipedia page is like, oh, he totally hooked John Lennon up with this thing with Mellotron, so he could use it on uh, Lucy in the Sky of Diamonds, or or maybe in Strawberry Fields, whichever one has Mellotron. I don't know why John Lennon would need him as a hookup. <laughs> oh, I got, I knew. I knew this guy from New Blues. We're tight. <laughs> yeah, seriously. This is the biggest band in the world, whatever. It's, you know, it's a weird album, but it's really grown on me over the years. And I really respect it as a rock music fan and as a classical music fan. I'm, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm well-versed in classical music, but I definitely have a great appreciation for it. So the question is, other two guys, is this list worthy? 
I mean, not for me, but you guys seem to like it a lot. I don't want to rain on your parade. Yeah, but we got to cut some shit. We're not doing a good job of cutting shit on our first run through this. It is tough for me to cut. Maybe the like you guys like it a lot, but I do. I don't right. want to be the villain again. We'll, we'll keep. I'm always the villain. We'll keep going. Okay. Asterisk. So we'll move on to a very pleasant album, Chelsea Girl by Nico. Bittersweet. Yes. I assume you've heard this album more than I have, Colin, because this is more of a recent one for me. It is kind of one I got into recently. Uh, I haven't listened to it that many times. I feel like a lot of times I just listen to the first two songs, the fairest of the seasons, and these days I'm like, that was good enough. Because those songs <laughs> definitely are the amazing. <laughs> you just got to go back and do those. Okay, I'll just repeat those. Basically. Why do I need to go further when I got Seriously, that? Seriously, they're so good. Both Are those both Jackson Brown written ones? I feel like he co-wrote the second one. I don't know. I think Jackson Brown had a part in writing songs on this album earlier in, yeah. in his career, and they're really pretty. And they so have, they have a Velvet great... Underground did a lot yeah. of the songs, too, which is... I don't know how Jackson Brown got involved with those guys. Seriously, I feel like he would have been, like, 20 or something. He couldn't have been that old. Warhol scene, I don't know. That's weird to think to about, like, country rock kind of Jackson Eddie Warhol Brown. and Lou Reed are hanging out, doing heroin. <laughs> and Jackson Brown's like, hey, guys. I got some songs. I got some songs. Oh, this is really sick, man. Oh, these look really good, this too. <laughs> I love the, the guitar work. I don't... I don't know who's doing the guitar. I don't really know much about anyone behind this album. I mean, I know the people, like, the Velvet Underground were involved. Jackson Brown was involved somehow. Because obviously Nico isn't really a, much of a musician. I mean, she's a singer, and an interesting one at that. She doesn't have much range, but it's, <laughs> it's a nice voice. I like it. But I love those, that guitar work on the kind of, it, it kind of reminds me of, there's a style of picking called Travis picking, I think, or something like that. John Lennon kind of did it on songs like Dear Prudence and stuff. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Nick Donovan. Payne. Donovan taught Nick that Payne to taught me John Lennon. Ah, Nick, Nick Payne, Payne taught you. Everybody's got to learn it from someone else. You can't oh. just know it. Like most things. It's passed on. No, I mean, but like... Sean, someone from high school has to be referenced with each podcast. <laughs> well, we've been talking about like teachers and students too. Why not? You know, 90% of our life is spent talking about... Junior high and high school, so <laughs> don't tell the listeners though. They need they need to know that. living in the past. This is what so happens much. when you're friends for your entire life. You just start talking about your past all the time. Have no perspective of the future of the president. The president. The president. <laughs> I don't even know anything about the president. Who is the president? Anyways, I would say this album is not worth. I feel the, the list. same thing about the two songs are like just great, and then the rest is good, but. It's just not as <laughs> good. I, I was kind of disappointed, like, how over-the-top it goes with flutes and orchestral <laughs> stuff. And I feel like Nico herself was like, they, I don't like what the direction they took my album in. Like, put too many flutes on it. It gets, like, I feel like it, this would have been better if it was more kind of bare bones. Because I feel like that, that suits her voice better. If it was just her and guitar, I would have totally dug that. Because I'm into that kind of melancholy, just guitar and vocals. It reminds me of Nick Drake. I love that kind of yeah. stuff. Mm. I, th- I mean, I do think it, it does. There's some sounds on here, kind of ahead of its time in a way. It's weird to think it came out in '67, but it, I don't know. It's just kind of weird, <laughs> and it, it, it's just 
It's good, but I, don't, it's, I wouldn't say it's great, so I'd bump it. Yeah. All right. Moving on, an album by the Rolling Stones, Between the Buttons. Sounds called between the butts. Between the buttons. 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 Like a shirt. Yeah. Okay. Colin, I've heard a lot of Rolling Stone albums, but I've never. I don't understand why this one's supposed to be like better than some of the ones that precede it, like Twelve Times Five or you know, December's Children. I don't like. I don't get what. What makes this one stand out? What do you think? Well, I like it just because it kind of. That's a unique sound for the Stones. I think it was one time where they veered pretty far away from their regular blues stuff into this sort of, I guess, more poppy sound and kind of more British. I think Keith Richards once said it's their most British album. And I just kind of like it for it. It's got lots of organ and just kind of weirder instruments than you're used yeah. to hearing on the Rolling Stones albums. So that's why I like it. I mean, I don't think it's like an essential Rolling Stones album, but I, I just think it's kind of a unique one that kind of gets overlooked. But I suppose it does kind of start mark their departure and experimenting because the album right after this was their Satanic Majesty's yeah. request. Same year. Yeah, same year, actually. There's some good stuff on that, but the album's just messed up. It's, they're, they're dressed like wizards on the cover and stuff. <laughs> I feel like they were just trying to be Sgt. Pepper, uh-huh. and it just didn't work out. But it's interesting because I guess this—I guess this is kind of like a transitional album between mm-hmm. them blues rock and trying uh, trying some other things. But I always felt like the Stones didn't get really good at making albums till about like Beggar's Banquet. That's when I started really getting interested. Yeah, where they kind of returned back to the blues. I feel like yeah, I don't know. There's definitely some interesting stuff on here. And, uh, I assume we're talking about the American version that's got uh, like Ruby Tuesday or. There's two versions. They're both, yeah, they're both. It's pretty similar, but... They're pretty similar, but one's got Ruby Tuesday, and it's also got uh, Let's Spend the Night Together, which yeah. two songs I love. They're great singles band, but I feel like early on, I wasn't as into them as an album band. I mean, I thought this was okay, but I didn't get, like, why people were like, no, this is great. <laughs> like, I don't, I, don't, I don't feel the same way. Oh, to, to be honest, the only Rolling Stones album I actually liked as an album was Exile on Main Street. Besides that, I just listen to 40 Licks if I want to listen to Rolling Stones. <laughs> Jake's favorite album? What, 40 Licks? <laughs> yeah, remember You know, that? Jake listens to this. He's going he's gonna to crush you next time he sees I'm just saying, <laughs> that's what he said. In that was a long time ago. But I think it'll probably get bumped. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Just felt like mentioning it. Bumped. Because why not? Uh, the next one is uh, Mr. Fantasy by Traffic. Steve Winwood, one of my favorite rock vocalists. Can you believe that's the voice of a 19-year-old? <laughs> like, and he was in a band, bef- a successful band before Traffic. He was in the Spencer Davis group. They had some hits with, you know, Give me some loving, yeah. give me, give me. He was like 16. <laughs> this is He's kind of one of those rock wonderkin kind of guys. He can play every instrument. He's a great singer. It's funny, the only time I didn't like him is when he actually became, like, popular in the 80s. Give me a high, high love. love. 
He's on like crabby '80s compilation discs. It's so bad. But this is back when he was he was experimenting with all sorts of cool cool stuff on this album. That's very strange. Really strange lineup. You got a you got a drummer, a piano player, uh, a, a flute player slash saxophone, and and then you know another guy. And they came up with this album that's just trippy and goes in all sorts of directions. I think kind of the problem with it is you had Steve Winwood and then guitarist Dave Mason both had different ideas of what they wanted it to be. So it kind of was a mess. But I think they came up with some pretty interesting ideas in that mess. But it's definitely not the most cohesive album. It's, it's more of like a really interesting experiment. Has anyone else heard of this album? No. Uh, Really? Not really? Let's do a couple songs? A couple songs. Seems alright, but just kind of not the thing, the kind of thing I would listen to. If anything, though, I think this, the title track, Mr. Fantasy, that's pretty, I feel like that's a pretty standout track. That's good. Yeah. I remember Dave Matthews inducted them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he's talking about how he had like a religious experience hearing this song. It's <laughs> like, whoa, just... I don't remember, because I don't, I don't really give a shit about anything Dave Matthews has to say. <laughs> you know, he listens to this. What? You know, he listens to this. He's going to destroy you. Dave Matthews? <laughs> oh, he, he lives in Seattle, doesn't he? Yeah, I told him about it. You want to do it personally, Dave's people. Okay, people. Dave Matthews' entourage. He's gorge people. Dave Matthews' oh, yeah. people. But I know I like this. Dave Matthews likes this. But like I was saying earlier, this isn't really very cohesive. It's just, it's kind of an interesting experiment. I think their later albums, they kind of found more of a defined sound. Once that other guy was just talking about Dave Mason, once he quit, <laughs> they kind of, I feel like they kind of uh, found themselves. So I, I'm just, I just wanted to mention it because I, I appreciation for it. Worthwhile discussion because you got to say, I like this, Dave Matthews likes this. I, I never thought we'd have something in common, me and him. <laughs> So I'm really... It's like, really I like glad. Taco Time, Death Cab for QB. Like, QB, God! <laughs> lost the ability to speak. Just commit suicide after the end of this podcast. And you put it on YouTube. That'd be pretty good. I will put it on YouTube. Run away, go underground. Like the Velvet Underground. With the Velvet Underground and Nico, our next album. Where it's hard to say anything because this is kind of an album that changed everything, basically. I mean, there's so much underground music that uh, kind of evolved from this punk rock, noise rock, uh, glam rock, just kind of alternative rock in general. There's And there's so many different sounds on this album, which I think is why it's so influential. And it just, yeah, it just didn't sound like anything that had come before and it also kind of did at the same time this album was my religious experience yeah <laughs> yeah what i find so interesting about the velvet underground is i feel like they had such an unorthodox approach to music like maureen tucker she plays with her bass drum she doesn't even kick she hits it with her the stick like who does that like is she like a little is she like a 10 year old yeah, it, it, I think it, it fits so well in with everything else they're doing. And John Cale isn't, like, the best violinist, but he has, like, the most unique violin sound. And it's like, this album sa- seems like it could have failed spectacularly. You know, you have Andy Warhol behind it with his weird experimental, you know, art projects. And yet this really 
amazing album came out of all of that. And that's just... I mean, it did kind of fail spectacularly. <laughs> In the public's eye, it sold nothing. But then there's the old saying that's attributed to Brian Eno that every musician that heard this album started a band and uh, yeah that speaks i love that i love that quote to the volume of the influence of this album but i wonder how it just came together i think it's probably just lou reed he's a real talented songwriter and i think he has a real clear vision of of what he wants i don't know clear but he definitely he's he's got the drive within and then john kale brought the yeah sure i mean everybody brings something i think even Nico, who wasn't isn't like we just mentioned earlier, isn't really a musician, but she has uh, just kind of style that somehow gelled with them. Yeah, I don't know how they felt about it. I feel like they were never really about having her in the band. Yeah. I remember hearing about. I think they're recording like "I'll Be Your Mirror," and they're just like yelling at her because you're not doing it right. Because she has like one range; she can only be like, oh, da, 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 da. she has that low kind yeah. of weird, heavily accented, almost like man-like. <laughs> German voice. <laughs> but it provides nice breaks in between, like, Lou Reed stuff when you have uh, Nico singing. And you just got into this recently, sort of. Yeah, but I've already... I was just checking uh, earlier today on my iTunes. I've listened to it uh, 27 times. Because yeah. I heard this album, like, in high school, and I don't think I was ready for it. I was no, like, I this am? is good. I like some of it, but some of it's just kind of too weird. And just as time went on, I grew to love it more and more and understand why it's... Just a landmark album in the truest. But it's sense. funny. Once I got into it, I got all literally everything they did. I was that into them. Yeah. Like I had to get everything. And now this is. I, I want to listen to it right now. I want to go home and listen to this. So I mean, if, if you guys haven't you know checked it out, I was just wish I had a physical copy of it so I could peel the banana. Peel, great album cover. Yeah, peel the. It's got the banana, and you peel the banana off. And, not scratch and sniff though, is it? We probably didn't have that technology yet. <laughs> Well, if Pooh never comes out with, like, a vinyl record, that's our fictional Kiss rock band. Well, not fictional, they're real. They'll have a Scratch and Sniff album cover. You could be, like, a chocolate bar, and you, like, peel the wrapper off. In 3D. Or it could be, like, I don't want to go. It could be really dirty, something sexy. Don't make it dirty, though. This is family <laughs> It'll be dirty. This is a family album. Pooh. Enough about Pooh, though. I think Velvet Underground is a must. I think so. You know they're they're cool. They're alternative. Never sold out. Well, the Who did on their next release, apparently, because it's called the Who Sell Out. Did the Who actually sell it? I was just, I was just trying to come up with like a way to connect them, like you always do. But I just, I don't have the touch that you do, Sean. You have the magic touch, the segue touch, the segue touch, the segueing. But yeah, I've gone on record saying this is my favorite Who album, mm. and I think that's because I, I like seeing them just take on just full-on pop music. Because I feel like some of the other ones are more just like rock or more blues. This one's just full-on pop. I mean, it's kind of weird how they like sing out like deodorant and like beans and stuff. Like that's kind of gross. That's always been my problem with it. Like my favorite song on this album is Odorono. It's about deodorant. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> but I think it's a funny. That shit keeps you clean, John. How's that disgust <laughs> you? I don't know. Well, that's the whole concept. Is it's sort of about commercialism. I mean, they have their own little commercials in between the songs, which are all really fun and 
kind of funny. Yeah, I appreciate. I definitely appreciate the concept. I think it's a humorous concept. And the concept album was kind of a new thing. There hadn't been many. I mean, Sgt. Yeah, Peppers really. was kind of the big one, but the same year. I don't know which came out first. But this one, I feel like, really sticks to that concept all the way through. Yeah. Some sometimes they don't. Sgt. Peppers didn't. I don't. I didn't feel like really stuck to its concept. I mean, it had it for a little bit, and then it came back with the Sgt. Peppers reprise. But everything else is just kind of its own thing. So I guess it's it's, it's impressive that a band like The Who would keep to keep to it to the whole and not get like bored in the middle. Like, let's stop doing this. <laughs> And I don't think it wears out its welcome. You don't get annoyed by the commercials or anything, you do. It's just no. a charming experience. But, I mean, I don't think it's one of their, like, landmark albums. They have so many other albums that I feel like people like so much more. I mean, like Tommy and, uh, you know, all that stuff. Any other any other thoughts on it? Has anyone else heard it besides me, Colin? I've, I've heard it. it. heard it? Yeah. How do you guys feel about it? It's not one of my favorites. <laughs> Because it's goofy or... No, I mean, I, I like songs off of it, but it's just... I mean, there's so many others, like you said, that are yeah. so good. It's more just like, you know, it's still good. It's like the Beatles. It's like, it's still great. I still love it. It's just not my favorite. Yeah, so I think just for that, it'll probably get a... Really? I don't know. I like it quite a bit. Mm, but well, everyone here's heard it, right? Uh, I have heard it. So if it's the two against two, and we need to cut stuff, we do need to cut stuff. But I, I, I hate making an argument against someone who said straight up, "Who is my favorite band?" It's true. Ever. And I can't make the argument that it's like one of my favorite Who albums because I like all of them so much. But I would say this is within their top five for me. But well, how many do we got, Colin? Uh, that have been well, they're still in contention oh I thought you were making the list so I don't know let me see here alright we're doing a little behind the scenes when, uh, when I listen to Who's Next I think that's a great album when I listen to the Who's Sell Out I'm like okay this is fine I like it but that is coming from someone who is a very lackadaisical fan of the Who so we got about yeah thirteen. Thirteen. Right All right. How many more do we have to go? That's it. Oh, that was, oh, that was it. That we talk about. So now it comes to cutting it down. Uh, well, we also just looking at the list. I know it's like Aretha Franklin's still on the list. Yeah, we could take that out. Just, just because we just don't know. Yeah, I mean, we don't know. <laughs> Are there any others still on the list that we just don't know? No one knows the birds. I don't. That's true. <laughs> do you really want that on there, Colin? I do, but I don't have to. Hmm. Well, some of the ones I'm looking at, maybe something else by the Kinks, or I mean, I like all these. Or Access Bold is Love. I know you're gonna. I know you I probably. Think I feel like the Who sells out more, more than both of those albums you just named. Oh, really? That's yeah. interesting. <laughs> and then I know Colin uh, he's obviously not as much a Moody Blues fan so that's going to be yeah I was I made my peace with the Moody Blues long ago I, I understand that that they're a super niche band <laughs> like I'm, I'm I can't imagine I feel like we're the only two people who like the Moody Blues that I, are under uh, like 60 years old <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah you know we don't have to take it off though we I mean. can well okay I don't, know. This is, I don't know. Well, I told you my uh, which ones I was a little iffy on. 
Axis Bold as Love, just because I don't feel like, uh, I don't know if we need both Hendrix for me. I feel like one is enough, personally. Yeah, and I don't feel like anyone feels that strongly about it, except for me. It's more of a respect thing. Yeah. Respect. yeah and Aretha Franklin's already off the list, so what do we care? <laughs> We've lost it. No, I'm not. <laughs> but, uh, okay, take off Axis Bold as Love. Okay, and that puts us at... I think that's 11. 11? Ooh, so, so close. I can taste it. So, I think we're talking about Birds, Moody Blues, maybe the Who Sell Out as our, the one that's got to go. Okay. Right? Colin, what about those? How do you feel about... Well, I, I don't know how you feel, right? Uh, you, you, I, you feel like Moody Blues should go, right? Well, yes, but, I mean, you can take the birds off if you want to. I feel like if it's something that we all don't know, I feel like if three of us don't know it, I feel like it should go. Because as good as it is, it's got to kind of represent us a group a the best as we can. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our, like, 11, I guess. All right. I'll, I'll check it out. I promise you. Cross my heart. Hope to die. You okay. better hope to die. Don't, don't hex me, Sean. <laughs> I'm just bringing real darkness to this podcast this week. Okay, so now we can go into making the list. I'm just stoked that it made the list. Right. So we can put that on at 10. Search the Lost Coin also. A good Moody Blues album. Oh, yeah. I think that was that must have been the next year, but yeah. Some, some interesting albums, definitely. <laughs> and then are we looking towards the Who or, or Maybe the who Kings? Sell out. Maybe Kings. I mean, I like Who Sell Out more than something else. I agree with Colin. All right, so something else at nine? could probably all agree on that. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. And then we could put the who in at eight, right? Uh, I guess. Or how do you feel about Moby Grape compared to the who selling it? That's tough. I like Moby Grape more. Because I like those about equal. I I guess Moby Grape a little bit more, I would say. Okay. Who saw it just seems like the, the logical next step for me. Okay. At number eight. And then I mentioned Moby Grape. Um, how are you feeling around that? Around? I mean, I'm okay with that. I like it better than, say, Disraeli Gears. I agree with Colin on that. Sean's got my back. Disraeli Gears, come on, man. That's, I just feel that's like some iconic shit, man. pretty good. But... I feel like it's a better representation of this of 1967, though. I agree with John on that. Maybe. <laughs> but I feel like it's a good representation of that San Francisco sound, which was a huge part of Yeah, but I mean you got that year. Sunshine of your love, man. Sunshine yeah, of your love. Well look at those goofy ginger baker songs on it too. It's got one well it's got Mother's Lament. It's got two. Eric Clapton sings on that too. He's ju- he's just as much to blame. <laughs> well God has f- failed. Well, that's, I like that song for a little bit. I just feel track by track, it's. I just feel like Disraeli Gears is way more memorable. Coming from a, I don't you know, agree. Someone who but... admitted he's a cream fanboy, basically. <laughs> nah, I just I appreciate what they're what they're doing. I, I th- this ranking does not mean much to me. Yeah, well, you know, I. I'll, they're both right next to each other. So fine. We can put Moby Grape at seven. That's fine with me. Both pretty good. 
don't, I don't know if you guys remember, but like Jefferson Airplane didn't even make this list. So Moby Grape must be pretty good. This was a really incredible year for music. Like maybe the best of the '60s. Maybe 1969 is really good too. All right, and but, then okay. But then, I don't have anything more to say about that. Then because of the controversy, <laughs> you can probably you can probably put in Green. I think so. Well put, Sean. <laughs> Brought so much charm to this to this podcast. Uh, for me, it'd be the Doors next, definitely. But I agree with Colin. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fine. I, I, what can you I do with that? Yes, I, I I can live with it. All right, cool. Um, I mean, as I said, sell me on love. Colin. Forever changes is my favorite album yeah, of the year. Okay, but I can't really say that it's a more uh, essential album than any of the other ones left. That is my concern. So it would have to be it have to be pretty effing good. <laughs> we swear on this podcast, right? Yeah, it'd be pretty fucking good. There you go. But uh, are you okay with that, John? Since you're the other. Well, I like love better than our yeah, experienced, lover. but uh, I mean, so do I. But I mean, our experience. It just oozes 60s so uh, much more. Okay. There are four left on this list. The two we haven't talked about, I think, are better than Are You Experienced. You guys both believe love is better than Are You Experienced? Personally, I like I it. I, like, I enjoy it. I mean, I like it, but yeah. If you're asking me what album do you want to listen to right now, Are You Experienced or Forever Changes? It's totally going to be Forever Changes. That's fine. Well, I feel, I feel like it's better, but in terms of as, as a '60s album of, of, of representation of 1967, uh, uh, I feel like our experience is just so much. It's, it's in that holy place yeah. above the purple clouds. <laughs> Getting a little trippy there. It's tough. I mean, it's tough when we were calm. The only people who really know yeah. about it. The other two guys here don't care what we're talking about right now, <laughs> but me and John care passionately. What should we do? Like, like I said, if you guys genuinely believe love should be on there higher than are you experienced, I'm fine giving love the number three spot. But it's not it's not going to be a number two or number one. And Nancy, what are your thoughts on how an album like reflects its period or, or how, you know... I mean, do you have any thoughts on this issue? It's kind of complicated right now. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I, think, I think it's... Yeah. Since we were born so... Far after 1967, it's just got to be which do you like more? I mean, not, that's how I not not influence it. you because I mean, th- I, that influence is so far from where you are, you know, in in your life. You were influenced by things that were influenced by things that were influenced by things that were, by things that were created by this music. That's deep, man. <laughs> that's some deep shit. Well, then I yeah, I put uh, I put love above. Let's do it. Yeah, number four. Are you experienced? Number three, Forever Changes. I think Sergeant Peppers has to be Velvet Underground. Yeah. Sergeant Pepper, yeah, I guess. One. Mm. I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with that. I I'm, think so. I mm. love the Velvet Underground, but it's the Beatles, it's man. It's hard to beat Sergeant Pepper. It's seriously like the album of all time. When people say, you know, people argue, it's, yeah, it is the, like the greatest album of all time. I mean, I don't know if I agree with that, but I definitely like it a lot. Certainly among the great sounds. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So there you have it. Shall we read it off? I think we shall. Our favorite albums of 1967. Number 10, The Moody Blues, Days 
of Future Past. Not to be confused with the X-Men comic book, also called Days of Future Past, with a a T, not past, E-D. Good save. That is a popular X-Men comic book story, I believe. I can't tell you what it's about. I can tell number you Number nine exists. is Kinks, uh, something else by the Kinks. Number eight, The Who with The Who Sell Out. Number seven, Moby Grape with their self-titled debut. Uh, Cream is at number six, Disraeli Gears. Number five, Doors, The Doors. Number four, Jimi Hendrix Experience, Are You Experienced? Three, Love Forever Changes. Two, Velvet Underground, The Velvet Underground and Nico. And number one, The Beatles with Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. We had a lot of fun, and I hope you had a lot of fun, too. We'd love it if you head over to mildlyplease.com and told us about your listening experience. We'll see you all next week.